Good morning to each and every one of you. As we would say at the Bethlehem Church, our God is good and our God is worthy to be praised. Amen. Listen to my Baylor family, to each and every one of you, and my Truett family as well, to my dear friend, Dr. Hardich, Brother Christina, to you, uh, Dr. Steele, and of course to uh, President Livingstone. It is a blessing and a privilege to be in this place just one more time. Our scripture reading uh, for the morning is one that will be familiar to, uh, to my convention family. A reading from John chapter 15, beginning at verse number 12. The word of God says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for their friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. All that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You, you did not choose me. But I chose you and I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Amen. I believe, I believe that we are called to unity in the spirit of love. A message that I've been blessed to bring from pulpit to pulpit in 2020. Well, you see, for the past two years, it has been both my privilege as well as my pleasure to serve as the president of the Baptist General Convention of Texas. For those who do not know much about us, we are a convention that has as its original purpose to awaken and stimulate among churches the greatest possible activity in evangelism mission a Christian education and benevolent work, a convention that cultivates a closer cooperation among the churches and promotes harmony of feeling and concert of action in advancing all of the interests of our Redeemer's kingdom. Yes, a convention that holds as its mission to encourage and to facilitate and connect churches in their work to fulfill God's mission of reconciliation and reconciling the world to himself. Well, you see, our vision and our focus on ministry, it is clear. We are a fellowship of transformational churches, sacrificially giving ourselves to God's redemptive purpose and continually being transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit into the likeness of Christ. So we join together to transform communities and the world. That's who we are. And ladies and gentlemen, even as Texas Baptists, we are called to not only live out the Great Commission, but we are also called to live out the Great Commandment, and we now call that the G2 movement. What Jesus says to us in Matthew 28, Go therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you even to the end of the world. And then he says, 
The second part of that, that other part, that we should love the Lord our God, Matthew 22. With all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and this is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, that thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Listen, our, our convention is unique and unlike any other Baptist convention in the world. Uh, for on a given week in the Baptist General Convention of Texas and the 5,400 or so churches, we are a one of 300 identifiable ethnic groups in this state. Over 200 uh, dialects are represented in Texas alone, and we are the face of the state, the nation, even of the world. And as Texas Baptists, we value the Bible, the Word of God. God's written word is the authoritative guide for our life and ministry. We value the church and we strive to develop those transformational churches. We value spiritual formation, cultivating a sense of intimacy with God by submitting ourselves to him through feeding of the world, engaging in continual prayer and spreading the gospel message. We value servant leadership. Just like Jesus, we understand that as disciples, we are called to be servants of all humans, of humankind, for the interest of the kingdom of God. And we value the worth of all people. And, and we know that every human being is created in the image of God. And we understand that, that, it, that, that the importance of learning more about God is building relationships with God's people. We understand now the importance of learning our Baptist distinctives, those things that make us distinctively Baptist. And yes, even in times like these, we value integrity and inclusion. And I would say this morning, if there was ever a time when we needed to hold these truths to the light of, of day, that time is now. That time is now when we find ourselves in the midst of chaos and confusion. That elephant is in the room. That time is now when we, and even it appears as if we are a divided nation, so divided that we have uh, even politicized the pandemic, so divided where we have an entire people group begging uh, the attention of fellow citizens to say to their lives, to say that their lives matter, saying that black lives matter. That is a phrase not to be conflated, as my son would say, with politics or dismissed as a mere movement. But this is a phrase that serves as the affirmation of human life. Yet we are so divided where civil discourse seldom exists now and compromise seems to be a thing of the past. However, I must admit that it seems as if even we, my fellow Christians, that some of us have even lost our way, waving the flag above the Bible, placing political parties above people, Dehumanizing immigrants and so-called illegal aliens, I think that if we're not careful, we've lost our way. When religious freedom is only referring to our own religion, that's a problem. We've lost our way. President Abraham Lincoln said in his second inaugural address, as he gazed out into a, a war-torn crowd of citizens, he says, each looked for an easier triumph and a result less fundamental and astounding. Both read the same Bible and pray to the same God and each invokes his aid against the other. And it may seem strange that any man should dare to ask a just God's assistance in wringing their bread from the sweat of other men's faces. 
But he says, let us judge not that we be not judged. The prayers of both could not be answered. That of neither has been answered fully. As Christians, we stand to be judged in this moment. Our reputation as disciples of a loving God in this moment, 2020, it is at stake. For the unbeliever, the, even the despot and the disinherited, they have their eyes fixed upon us. The disappointed among us dare to see what we will do. The despondent dare to see how we will react. The disenchanted will seek to hear what we will say in these times. But you see, we are not as united Christians, even as we should be. In some cases, in some cases... Rather than being one nation under God, we seem to be divided into many nations. And I must say to you that as Christians, we do not get a pass. For we are the church, we are the ecclesia, we are the, the called out of God, not the building. Well, the pandemic has taught us that, right? We're not our addresses and even, dare I say, not even our denominations, we're not black churches or white churches. We're not rich or poor. We're not rural, urban or suburban. But we are the church. We are the born again. We are the baptized believers. We are the chosen generation, that royal priesthood, that holy nation. That is who we, who we are. We are the blood bought. That is who we are. And I believe that in this text of scripture that Jesus reminds us he helps us to know who we really are, our, our true identity. As John writes in his gospel, this son of Zebedee and Salome, lone disciple at the foot of the cross, the elder of Ephesus. John gives us a vivid picture. John takes us, if you would, into uh, that last supper. That's the context. This was our Lord's farewell address. This was his closing discourse. He says in John 13, little children, yet a little while I am with you. You shall seek me. And as I said unto the Jews, whether I go, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give unto you that you love one another. In verse 12, he says, this is my commandment. Ladies and gentlemen, not a suggestion a commandment, a direct order. order. This is a charge that, that, that Christ demands upon them, upon his disciples, upon uh, us Christians, uh, uh, member to member, if you would. He says that you are to love each other, love without cause or condition, without expectation of reimbursement, love without selfish intentions, love without prospect or opportunities for bounty. Love without prejudgment, without stereotypical labels. He says, you will love each other. This, this text is so often misunderstood because some believe that Jesus is speaking in, in somewhat of a universal language. This is a universal statement. It is not. This is not a universal statement to all humanity. Jesus is speaking directly to his disciples. He's saying to them, that you shall love each other. I, was, I had the opportunity, Dr. Steele, to uh, be a guest uh, in a class on yesterday uh, right here at, at Truett, Dr. Lefebvre's class. And one of the students asked, how do you combat 
prejudice? How do you combat bigotry even in the body of Christ? And he said, Dr. Hardidge, even amongst you, Texas Baptist. My response to him is, while we are not perfect, but that is not a good excuse. Because as I look from pew to pew, person to person, I say to you, when you read John 15, you must hear Jesus speaking to us. This is not a sermon for the people on the street corner. This is one where Jesus says, I need you to love each other because, because, because the world is going to read us before they read the Bible. It's you. And, and, and it is, and it is, and it is me. And, and, and some would ask, why would he make such a demand upon his disciples? Well, what you need to know uh, is that there was tension in that room. Oh God, if you read, if you read the, the scriptural verses prior to this, there was tension there. I mean, if you read Matthew 20, 20 through 28, Mark 10, 41 through 45, Luke 22, 24 through 30, uh, uh, John 13, 12 through 17, there was tension. They were tense because James and John had already asked for special treatment in the kingdom. They, they even sent their mom. I mean, you and my God, you know, they sent their mother. They sent their mom, go and talk to Jesus about our place uh, in the kingdom. One of us sitting on the left one of us sitting on the right. They said all of this in the hearing of the other disciples. There was tension in that room. There was more tension there. There was more tension because here you have Mary coming uh, in, into that house and she, and she had that expensive oil and she broke that alabaster box and she, and she anointed the feet of Jesus. And, 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 and even the disciples themselves said, oh, what a waste. That was tension in that room. There was tension. Dr. Hardin and I have gone across the state of Texas and we've had these uncomfortable conversations on race and there's always tension. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in those uncomfortable places? Have you ever been, been there? Folks who are afraid to say anything because you don't know who you're going to offend. Just, just, just people tighten the neck, watery eyes, clenched teeth. There, there is tension in these rooms of ours, but it is, it must be a compassionate form of tension. Because Jesus says to them, he says, listen, you will love each other. You will love one another just like I have loved you. Jesus is saying to them, I am your example. Just prior to this, even Peter says to Jesus, as Jesus was washing their feet, Peter says, no, you cannot. I will not allow you to wash my feet because it is the lowest form of servitude for a person to have their feet washed by some individual in the house who was given that dirty task. And he says, no, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus says to him, if I don't wash your feet, if you don't see my example. So then here Jesus says in the trailing verses, he says, this is the kind of love that we're called to have for each other, that a person would so love his friends or her friends that they will give their lives. They have to lay down their lives. If we are to be unified in a spirit of love, there's some things that we're just going to have to lay aside, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to have to be deliberate. We're going to have to be intentional. It's going to have to be a deliberate abandonment of our of ourselves. We've got to lay down old attitudes. We've got to lay down old behaviors. 
We've got to say farewell to stereotypes. We, we, we must be rid of destructive habits. Dare I say of bigotry and hypocrisy. Not in just one community, but in all of them. Be rid of lying and dishonesty. Borrowing from the Hebrew writer, lay, lay every weight. And that sin that so easily besets us, lay it aside. And Jesus says, as I speak to seminarians today, Jesus says, oh, by the way, I chose you. You know, that's, that's hard for some seminarians to hear because you dare think that you chose Truett. Jesus says, no, you got it backwards. I chose you. Listen, I'm five, seven and a half. And, 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 and any time uh, we were on the playground and, and it was time to play basketball, I, just, I was just really enthused when somebody chose me. See, the tall people get it. I chose you. You let that resonate for a while. Uh, you have this divine insight because I chose you. You, you have been given that, that unique gift or ability that you have, says the Lord, because I chose you. I chose you. I, you there are people in here that, that we can go from individual to individual and each of you have your own story and you live your life. You exercise ministry out of the filters from your past and then you wondered then if you were ever going to get through whatever it was you had gone through and then Jesus says to you in this moment, he says, I chose you with all of the baggage that you have, with all of the issues that you bring to the table. I chose you. I chose you. I chose you. I chose you. And I've given you insight. And, I, and how do you know? Because I have shared with you everything that my father has shared with me. See, real friends know that there are no secrets amongst us. I can be authentic. I can be a, an accountability partner. I can tell you about you and not care at all whether you like it or not because I love you enough to know that we are going to share in each other's lives that way. I chose you and I gave you insight that others will not have. How awesome that is. See, because when you back up to the beginning of this particular chapter, Jesus is talking to them about their intimate connection with him. He says, I, I am the vine, you are the branches, and, and whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus, when he says, look, I chose you and you are my friends. You are no longer just mere servants. I'm not just telling you what to do, but now you have an opportunity to partner in this relationship. That means that we can have real conversation with God, that we can talk to him. Listen, from my tradition, my, my great grandparents told me that you can't question God. You do not question God. But then later on with my smart self, seminary trained self, I asked the question, well, how can we have real relationships with the Lord Jesus Christ if we can't talk to him about everything. If we're friends, we can talk about everything. We, we can, see, 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 real love, as, as, I, as I prepare, as I wrap up, real, real love, real love, is, real love is manifested through 
intimate contact with the Lord, a real, real love for, for uh, our fellow disciples. Uh, he says to us in this text, it, it bears fruit and that fruit should remain, King James, that, that fruit should abide. Real love for fellow disciples bears fruit. Real love makes uh, our missions meaningful. Real love, disciple for disciple, it, it gives us, ladies and gentlemen, a unifying cause. It, it binds us together. It makes real our providential purpose. That's what real love does. It authenticates our calling and it bears fruit uh, because we are connected to the vine, because we are chosen for these given tasks and assignments that we have, because we are called to unity in the spirit of love. You know what we get to do? We get to feed the hungry. We get to clothe the naked. We get to provide shelter for the homeless. We get to advocate for the voiceless. We get to offer entry to the marginalized. We get to, we, we have the opportunity to, to to offer people who are disenfranchised a seat at the table of life. And that fruit remains. You know why? Because it is infectious. It is, it is communicable. It is contagious, contaminating. It's all of that and more. And you know what? It's motivating and encouraging as well. See, see that power, it is that love. It is, that's where the joy comes from. That's when the endorphins start to work. And because God put that in us in, innately and even physiologically, he just kind of puts that in us. And it makes us pull together for common causes and to give our time to the less fortunate. It makes us share our gifts and our talents. That is what real love looks like. And I want to take you back just a couple of chapters. As I look at you today, and David, this is my final assignment. They will know that we are his disciples by our love. With all of the vitriol from all over, we stand separated, sanctified. This is my commandment. This is my commandment that you love. Disciple to disciple to disciple to disciple. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you, God, for the imperative. We thank you, God, for the command, for the reminder that we should love each other, period. That as disciples, people who follow you, people who love you, people who are being loved by you, saved because of you, delivered on a daily basis through you, that we have no excuse but to love each other. Touch us, even the preacher. When that political scientist comes out of me,
allow love to rise. When the one-upsmanship tempts us, let love rise. Cause us to be bridges from one to the other and remind us that when we come together, that when the body of Christ comes together, that great things happen because of the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray God blessings and covering over Truett Seminary, Baylor University, and the men and women who you have chosen to come to this place and take their training out into a world hungry for a word from you. It is these and many other blessings we ask in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, praying, covering blessings, grace, and mercy on our convention, most of all on our country. Thank God and amen. God bless you.